According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me tonight, if you would, in the book of Numbers. This is the first time I've asked you to turn to the book of Numbers. Uh, we have a little bit of a, of a gap between Exodus and uh, Leviticus, and uh, we're going to fill, fill that little gap in with a couple of chapters here from the book of Numbers. I'll go ahead and bring up the uh, the reading plan so you'll see what I'm talking about here. We ended uh, Genesis and Job at the end of uh, January, and then we move on into era number two, the birth of Israel with Exodus 1, and we've been here since uh, February the 3rd, and uh, we wrapped up Exodus chapter 40. We also read about nine verses from Numbers chapter 9. Uh, that went along with the material from Exodus chapter 40. So that was the day 47 class. Now today we arrive at day 48. So for today and tomorrow, day 48 and day 49, we have Numbers chapter 7. That's what we're going to do tonight. Just one chapter. How easy is that, right? It's an 89 verse chapter, so it's going to take a little bit. Um, We'll have chapter 7 tonight. Of, of numbers, and then tomorrow when we come back for day forty nine we 'll have numbers eight and numbers uh, chapter nine the uh, the rest of chapter nine that we didn 't already read uh, the other day, and then we will introduce leviticus and we 'll have three chapters of Leviticus tomorrow night as well, chapters one through three, and then on day fifty we have Leviticus four through six, so that gets us through the end of the week, and uh, we save the rest of Leviticus for next week and the week after that by the time we get to the end of February then. Uh, we will be wrapping up Leviticus and moving on to Numbers. So that gives you kind of an idea of where we've been, where we're going, and where we are. Tonight we're in Numbers chapter 7. Offerings of dedication. Before we get started this evening, let's take a moment for silent prayer, committing this night for uh, in, a, in a dedication sort of way for the glory of Jesus Christ and the Father's good pleasure. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight thankful for your truth, thankful for the blessings we have to assemble together, the freedom that we have in this land to meet in a public building with a sign out front and a website telling all the world who we are and where we are. Father, we're not in hiding. We have freedom to uh, to worship and we, we thank you for that. We love you for that. We call upon your faithfulness once again now tonight as we study to show ourselves approved. Father, we know that the Word of God is is not earthly material and uh, it's beyond what our humanity can process. But thank you for the teaching ministry of God the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the faithfulness you manifest every time that the Spirit of truth teaches us the truth of your Word. So Father, we call upon that faithfulness once again tonight, giving you the praise and the glory in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Genesis, or not Genesis, Numbers chapter 7. And you'll see in verse 1, it says, Now on the day that Moses had finished setting up the tabernacle, he anointed it and consecrated it with all its furnishings and the altar and all its utensils. He anointed them and consecrated them also. And so the information there goes real well with what we looked at uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 40 and the details of what we saw there when the tabernacle was complete. 
And so, but you see, based on this verse here, why it is chronologically that Ron Rhodes uh, determined that uh, that this is the chapter we need to go to after uh, Exodus chapter 40 and before we get into Leviticus. And uh, in particular, the first seven chapters of Leviticus that immediately start launching us into descriptions about sacrifices and procedures and, and processes and things there. And so um, it's, it's actually excellent on, on Ron Rhodes' part that we have the sequence the way that we do here. So uh, you see the connection there with verse 1 right away that ties this in with Exodus chapter 40. Let's continue. Verse 2 says, Then the leaders of Israel, the heads of their father's households, made an offering. They were the leaders of the tribes. They were the ones who were over the numbered men. And so right away, tribe by tribe by tribe, we have the example that's being set by the tribal leadership and uh, recognizing that Israel is the covenant people of God. They are the nation of God. They are God's holy people, but they are broken down into 12 specific tribes that the sons of Jacob became the tribes of Israel. And God has promises for every tribe as he has promises for the totality of the nation of Israel. That Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob means all 12 tribes of Israel are fall under that Abrahamic covenant promise and the nature of Israel as a covenant nation theocratic nation before the Lord. And so what's going to happen here is that 12 princes of the 12 tribes of Israel are going to bring free will grace gift offerings to the Lord on the day that the tabernacle was completed. And so 12 princes, each one bringing a free will offering. And you're going to spot something kind of fishy uh, as we start looking at these uh, offerings one by one by one. I'm not going to give it away now. I'm going to see if we have any careful readers that are paying attention tonight. And uh, we're going to see if you notice anything uh, special about these gifts. These uh, 12 princes are the same leaders that were designated by the Lord when the tribes were enumerated. And uh, this goes back all the way back to Numbers chapter 1. And so one of the, there are many, many benefits of doing a study chronologically and doing a study sequentially, uh, but there's also sometimes there's a detriment to doing it this way as well. And that comes just by virtue of the narrative of the text of Numbers, uh, that as Numbers was written in the way that it was written, the, uh, you know, it's going to be assumed that you're familiar with Numbers chapter 1 before you get to Numbers chapter 7. And so these leaders that are referenced here in verse 2 when it says, uh, they were the ones who were over the numbered men. You have that, that footnote there in verse 2, that parentheses note in verse 2. The uh, the author, Moses, in, in writing the book of Numbers, assumes that you've already read chapter 1 and you know these men, you know their tribes, you know their names. And uh, Moses doesn't know that we're going to be reading in a, in a chronological fashion with the Ron Road schedule so that we just jumped right into this chapter from Exodus chapter 40 and we don't know who these 12 guys are. Okay, we're going to back up a little bit and cheat. We're going to get those names here uh, tonight. So because we have not had the advantage of reading chapter one yet, I went ahead and put the notes in there under point two in the outline. These uh, same leaders that were designated by the Lord when the tribes were enumerated. So specifically from the tribes of Reuben, Simeon, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, uh, Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin, Dan, Asher, Gad, and Naphtali. Okay, in that order. Have you ever spotted that? You realize there's a great benefit when you take, uh, when you take uh, Joseph away, when Joseph becomes two tribes. And so by taking Joseph away and replacing Joseph with, with Ephraim and Manasseh, the end result is, is that we have 12 entirely different letters of the alphabet. Not one of them is duplicated. 
So you can list the 12 tribes of, of Israel just by their initials of R-S-J-I-Z-E-M-B-D-A-G-N. And, uh, and right away you know the tribes. And, and have some fun with that and, and work that one out. If um, you might recall we did something similar with the 12 apostles in the Life of Christ series that we found that the 12 apostles, uh, there were four different places where you could find listings of the 12 apostles. Matthew and Luke and Acts and, and John. You had four different listings of the 12 apostles and they weren't always in the same order. And so it was useful to go ahead and make four columns and list the 12 apostles in the order that they're in in each of those passages and then observe the differences. Observe the similarities, observe the differences and do that. In fact, I even had fun with that and, and gave that a title. A listing of 12 apostles is called a dodecapostolog. Okay? And I coined that and I'm going to collect royalties on that if anyone rips me off and tries to cheat and steal and use that without my express written consent then uh, I should get some royalties. Now, we could do something similar for the 12 um, uh, sons of Israel, the 12 tribes. We can't call it an apostolog because they're not apostles, they're tribes. And we'll have to change the terminology there a little bit in any event. Um, we kind of need more vowels to make actual words out of Rissagizamimbadagon. But anyway, that's the order that's listed here. Okay, It comes in different orders in different places. This is not the birth order. And there's a reason why. And, and then when we, we start to see the order that they camp in, the sides of the tabernacle that they camp in, and then the order of march, when they set up from the camp and they march off to war, what's the order of march? And, and they're, they're all different orders. And, and so it's kind of useful to go ahead and chart them out, make the list, and, uh, and observe what you observe in that. In any respect, in, in Numbers chapter 1, this is the list. And it's the same order here when they bring their gifts. So the tribe of Reuben is going to bring the first gift. The tribe of Simeon is going to bring the second gift. Judah is going to bring the third gift. And they're bringing the gifts in this order. And it's the order they were enumerated in in chapter 1. Alright, so the tribal princes were uh, named El- Eliezer, Shelumiel, Nashon, Nethanel, Eliab, Elishama, Gamaliel. Okay, that's familiar, right? Gamaliel. From the New Testament, that's familiar. Okay, different Gamaliel. Uh, Abidan, Ahiezer, Pegiel, or Pagiel, I guess, Eliasaf, and Ahira. There you go. There will be a quiz tomorrow night if, uh, if you can memorize that list of names. Okay. The twelve uh, princes brought a collective gift of six carts and twelve oxen for the transportation of the tabernacle. Let's look at that here in verse 3. So uh, the men were listed, the same men that were listed previously, and when they brought their offering before the Lord, six covered carts and twelve oxen, a cart for every two of the leaders, and an ox for each one. Then they presented them before the tabernacle. So these are the joined gifts, the combined gifts that they, they, they pulled up and they, they supplied these, uh, these carts and these um, oxen. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, accept these things from them that they may be used in the service of the tent of meeting and you shall give them to the Levites to each man according to his service. And so patterns of what we see here and things that I think are useful in the church age too, by the way, just because someone shows up with something and says, here, I want the church to have this doesn't necessarily mean it's the will of God for the church to have this, right? If, if there's no real use for it or if it's not um, useful if it's not uh, in the will of God. okay. But here in this case, the Lord specifically tells Moses 
this is great. We need carts. We need oxen. Okay, the Levites do for uh, transporting the uh, the different components of the tabernacle. So uh, so Moses took the carts and the oxen and gave them to the Levites. Two carts and four oxen he gave to the sons of Gershon, according to their service. We're going to start to learn the the uh, divisions of Levi. That the tribe of Levi has three primary clans, and those clans we're going to identify very quickly, not only here but also uh, in in the book of Leviticus. So Gershon is one of these uh, clans of uh, of Levi. So they get uh, two carts and or I'm sorry, uh, two carts and four oxen. There we go, and four carts and eight oxen, which is the rest. Okay, he gave to the sons of Merari. That's another one of the Levite clans. So two of the three Levite clans, and uh, one clan got twice as much as the as the first clan did. And we still haven't even gotten to the third clan yet. That third clan seems like they kind of got ripped off. They're not getting any carts. They're not getting any oxen. But Gershon got two carts and four oxen, and Merari gets four carts and eight oxen. I feel like I'm reading a will. Like people are written out of the will, and they're they're going to be mad. Uh, according to their service, under the direction of Ithamar, the son of Aaron, the priest. We've seen Ithamar before. Uh, Ithamar was the fourth born son of Aaron. Ithamar was the youngest. Ithamar was the one that was good with numbers, good with math, evidently, or good with money. We don't know. He was designated, though, to track all of the volitional gifts that were provided. The money that was provided, the goods and services that were provided, and these uh, carts and oxen go right along with that. So Ithamar, better inventory these and keep it straight. But then it says in verse 9, but he did not give any to the sons of Kohath. So there's the, uh, the, the final division of Levi, the final clan, if you will, within the tribe. And they get no oxen and no carts. And here's why. Because theirs was the service of the holy objects which they carried on the shoulders, okay? So they're not doing the, 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 the heavy linens and they're not doing the curtains and they're not doing the poles and the bars and the bases. They're, not, they're doing the holy, the, so the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the, the candlestick, the table of showbread, the altar of incense. Everything we saw back in Exodus that was manufactured with poles, remember those, those poles of acacia wood overlaid with gold or acacia wood overlaid with bronze? Anything that we saw was manufactured with a carrying pole in, uh, in Exodus. Now we're finding out that Kohath is the clan within, Le- within Levi. It is the clan within the, uh, the tribe of Levi where their, their men are assigned to, uh, to carry these holy objects. So Kohath, the sons of Kohath did not receive any oxen or any carts because theirs was the service of the holy objects which they carried on the shoulder. All right, so in the uh, notes, the outline there under main point three, you've got the A, B, and C. Two carts and four oxen given to Gershon. Four carts, eight oxen given to Merari. And no carts at all were given to Kohath as their service was to carry the holy items with the designated poles. Okay, now starting with verse 10. The leaders start coming with their dedication offering. It's a dedication offering. It's kind of like when you're laying a foundation, you do it once. When you're dedicating a temple, you're doing it once. Okay? Or dedicating a new church building or the things that we dedicate. The idea is that something is new, something is, is, uh, is, is up and running and, and we want to honor the Lord with, uh, with His grace that made this, 
made this uh, thing possible. So what we're going to read in these following verses then, a lot of verses, okay, starting in verse 10 and taking us all the way down to verse 83. The 12 leaders are going to be offering their offerings to the Lord one per day. All right, you just can't bring all 12 of them in in the same day and just have them, you know, get in a line and dump stuff off. One leader, one tribe, one per day. So this is going to take 12 days, right? It's like the, the 12 days of Christmas, but with not quite the catchy tune. It's got the, the 12 days of dedication, of, of uh, and we're going to see the vocabulary here in a moment. It's the Hanukkah uh, dedication. So over a period of 12 days. And so we'll start here with, uh, with this. Let's read verses 10 and 11, and then we'll read verses 12 and following. So the leaders offered their dedication offering for the altar when it was anointed. So the leaders offered their offering before the altar. Then the Lord said to Moses, let them present their offering one leader each day for the dedication of the altar. All right? And if, if you or me or Moses or anybody else thought, that's going to take forever, Lord, can we just knock it out today? This is what God wanted. God wanted one prince, one day for 12 days. That's what he wanted. That's what he's going to get. So, the one who presented his offering on the first day was Nashon, the son of Amminadab of the tribe of Judah. Okay? And so these are the names that are listed here. These are the names I listed in the, in the points under, under, uh, in the outline there under point two. I just listed the given names. I didn't say who their father was or what tribe they were a part of there. You can read that here. So Nashon, the son of Amminadab of the tribe of Judah, remembering that every person in the nation of Israel was a part of a family, was a part of a clan, was a part of a tribe. And that no matter their clan, tribe, or, or family, they're all Jews. They're all, they're all the, uh, the chosen people. They're all uh, uh, of the nation of Israel. So Nashon, the son of Amminadab of the tribe of Judah. He's the prince of that, of that tribe. And his offering was one silver dish. So footnote there, it could be thought of as a platter, because it's a whopping platter when you see the size of it. One silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels. One silver bowl of 70 shekels. According to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. So you got a big old dish and you got a big old bowl. And they're both full of the, of the grain here for the offering. But he's not done. One gold pan of ten shekels full of incense. One bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old. We were asking what's up with the one year old. One male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Nashon, the son of Amminadab. All right. That's a lot, okay? That's a lot of animals. That's a lot of silver and gold in terms of the plate and the bowl, okay? In terms of the, um, the grain, mixed with oil, the fine flour mixed with oil, and, uh, and the incense, okay? This is a lot. And this is a gift. This is a free will gift. This is just because the tribe of Judah loves the fact that this tabernacle is, is finished. 
that this priesthood is ready to start priesting, right? Officiating. That, uh, and, and so they are supplying the initial sacrifices to, uh, to get this thing up and running. And, and, uh, and so you can imagine on, you know, I think it's probably smart that this is the only thing they're going to do this day because that's a lot of animals. And could you imagine if all 12 tribes showed up at the same day with all these animals? It's going to take a while to properly, not just butcher them, you can, I mean, you can kill animals pretty quickly, but you've got to uh, slaughter them, you've got to drain the blood, you've got to cut them up and apportion them, and there's, there is gory detail that we're going to be plunging into um, starting tomorrow night. And uh, tomorrow and Thursday and all day Sunday, we've got, we've got blood and guts coming up in, in terms of Levitical offerings. So just get ready for that. Keep in mind, there's, uh, these princes are bringing these over 12 days. There's also a, um, a consecration going on among the priests themselves. When they get ordained, they get ordained over seven days. Okay? And different people have, have kind of read these in different ways and overlapped them and synchronized them in different ways. I, I think I've got the notes on that here. So stay tuned. All right. So you ready for your quiz? How heavy was the plate? How heavy was the bowl? Which one had... Uh, no, I'm not going to quiz you on this, but you should uh, just thank God that you're not a Levite. <laughs> okay, I am so happy to be a church-age pastor teacher because uh, these details, I, I would mess up probably on day one and, uh, and fire from heaven would, would blast me and my, my ministry would be record short, shorter than Nadab and Abihu, I'm sure, with, with different things. All right. By the way, each of these offerings, each of these gifts, each of these dedications, the Hebrew word for dedication is Hanukkah. And if you're familiar with the Christmas time holiday, uh, this is not that. Okay? Unrelated. But it's the same word. Okay? It's the same word. Uh, in the Hebrew, uh, Hanukkah or Chanukah, I guess, Strong's number 2598. Um, it does mean dedication. The handful of uses where you can find it in the Old Testament, there aren't really all that many. Uh, all throughout Numbers chapter 7, like four times in this chapter alone. And then uh, you've got a use in Second Chronicles 7, 9, talking about on the eighth day they had a solemn assembly for the dedication of the altar. They observed seven days in the feast, seven days. So that's Second Chronicles chapter 7. Nehemiah chapter 12, at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness. I mean, if you understand how hard it was in the days of Nehemiah to get that wall built, you can imagine that when they succeeded, when the wall was finished, that they said, hey, we need to, we need to have a Hanukkah. We need to have a dedication and, uh, and, and include the, the Levites in this. Then the title for Psalm 30 not the psalm itself, not any of the verses within the psalm, but the title at the beginning of Psalm 30, where it says it's a psalm, a song at the Hanukkah, the dedication of the house, and it is a psalm of David. David wasn't allowed to build the temple, but boy, he paid for it. He, he assembled building materials. He wrote music for it. He made alliances with the king of Tyre. I mean, he just did everything he could so that Solomon's job was going to be as easy as possible after, uh, after David died. So the Jewish feast by the same name, the, the holiday we're familiar with uh, around Christmas time, 
the Jewish feast by this name commemorates uh, something that happens in between the Old and New Testament in the Maccabean era. The, uh, the Judas Maccabeus' rededication of the altar in the intertestamental period. There had been a horrible defilement of the temple uh, and the altar by Antiochus Epiphanes and, and it sparked the Jewish war. It sparked the, really it sparked the great victories of the, of the Maccabees. And uh, so when they cleansed the temple, when they cleansed the altar, when they rededicated it, they, uh, they gave it this name. And then there's different legends too about oil not running out and just different things like that. Who knows? Anyway, so you can remember Hanukkah. You can remember what dedication, it means dedication. Okay? So we've had one. We've got 11 more to go. The order of the dedications was the same as the order of the camp. So when you're reading the order of the camp, and we're going to get there sometime in March, we're going to get to, after we get done with Leviticus, we're going to get into Numbers, okay? And um, the order, and, and you can break it down not just in 12, but into four sets of three. The order of the camp is Judah, Issachar, Zebulun. They're the ones that camped on the east, and they set out first in the order of March. And then you have Reuben, Simeon, and, and Gad on the south side. And if you need a little help, little memory devices, little, um, what's that word for memory device? Mnemonic. Mnemonic needs a, a mnemonic to remember the word mnemonic. But um, so just, you know, create little abbreviations and stuff. Like, like the Zoller's next girl is going to be um, Judith Isabel you know, Zoller, something like that. And then uh, Robert and Sharon Godinez, or whatever we have. Just come up with, with acronyms. Come up with little things to help you remember so you can think your way through the tribes. EMB, and then Dan, that's kind of fun. Dan, you have Dan, Asher, and Naphtali, but the acronym spells out Dan. How cool is that? But this is the order. It's not the birth order, because Reuben was the firstborn. Then Simeon, then Levi, and Levi's not bringing offerings, Levi's receiving the offerings. But Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, you start to remember the birth order back from, uh, from Genesis, and, uh, and you work your way through, okay? Somebody remind me, before class is over, I want to show you a, a little trick for um, putting verses in a collection and, and then just reading them occasionally until you get them memorized. All right, now think about it. Yeah, I'll do that at the end of class as long as I have time. I don't want to take the side trip now. The 12-day labor does not violate the Sabbath. Do you realize that? If they're going to do 12 days in a row, then they're going to pass at least one Friday, maybe two. Okay? You know, are they, or one Saturday, maybe two. Are they, are they violating the Sabbath? No, they're not violating the Sabbath. They're doing what God wants them to do. They're serving the Lord in bringing an offering. In fact, this is specifically what the Sabbath is all about. So the 12-day labor did not violate the Sabbath as this was exactly what the Sabbath was for, the worship of the Lord. So, well, it seems like an awful lot of work to bring this heavy dish and this heavy bowl and, and these oxen and these animals. And, and uh, yeah, I'm sure. It was a tremendous amount of effort, but it was not labor that violates the Sabbath. Okay. 
The idea of work or labor, the idea of a Sabbath violation, we're going to see repeatedly, and I'm going to stress it repeatedly, is that it is the occupational pursuit of, of, your, of your bios life labors for your, your income and, and wealth accumulation and, 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 uh, and all the rest. That's what violates the Sabbath. But serving the Lord does not violate the Sabbath. And even uh, endeavors that are quite exhausting, that leave you tired, that we might call uh, effortful or, or you know effort or work, don't violate the Sabbath just because of the energy expended in, in getting it done. If you're doing what God wants you to do, then it's worship, as we see here. Some other examples of this too, by the way. Jesus tangled with the Pharisees on this. They're all critical of him in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples became hungry and they began to pick the heads of grain and eat. And under Pharisee doctrine, picking that head of grain violates the Sabbath. See, it's not against the Sabbath to eat, but you should have picked that grain the day before because snapping that head off of the stalk, that's work in their definition, not in the Bible's definition. And so they say, look, they, they tell Jesus, look, your disciples do what is not lawful to do on a Sabbath. And they have the definition of lawful, which means violates our system, violates our legalism. It actually doesn't violate Mosaic law, not at all. And uh, the Lord of the Sabbath is going to explain that to them here in just another verse. He says, oh, by the way, didn't you ever read how David and his companions ate the consecrated bread from the temple that's only for the priests why didn't they drop dead what's going on there or how about have you not read in the law that on the sabbath the priests in the temple break the sabbath and are innocent think about it every priest every levite they're working they're working on the sabbath they're 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 shedding the blood and smearing the blood and they're they're doing all the sacrifices you know they're on duty they don't get the day off they're working it's a work day for them. All right. It's kind of like uh, we got Christmas coming up on Sunday this year. And you know who doesn't have the day off? Pastors would be working, be preaching. But I say to you, something greater than the temple is here. There's other examples. Leviticus 12.3, On the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Do you know what this means? This means that for every baby boy that's born on a Friday, his circumcision is going to fall on the Sabbath eight days later. And so when the Levite circumcises him, is he breaking the Sabbath for working on the Sabbath? No, he's obeying the law of God. Numbers 28 verses 9 and 10. On the Sabbath day, two male lambs, one year old without defect, and two tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering and its drink offering. This is the burnt offering of every Sabbath in addition to the continual burnt offering and its drink offering. So seven days a week, they've got a continual burnt offering. Morning and evening, one each, every day. But on the Sabbath, they got even more. So, you know, as far as the Levites are concerned, the Sabbath is like overtime. The Sabbath is extra work. And they're not breaking the Sabbath by working. So in these 12 days, the 12 days of of tribal Hanukkah gifts, 
they are not Sabbath-breaking. All right, let's continue. This is where you've got to be careful. Let's get to day two. On the second day of Hanukkah. No, I'm not going to do that. We could do the 12 days of Christmas or the 12 days of tribal Hanukkah. All right, on the second day, Nethanel, the son of Zuar, leader of Issachar, presented an offering. And he presented his, and remember Issachar, um, Issachar was, who was Issachar? Issachar was a son of, uh, of uh, Leah, a son of Leah, but after some of the, uh, the, the concubines had already had their turn. So this is when Leah finally got to come back and have two more sons of her own. So uh, Nethanel, son of Zuar, leader of Issachar. So we know his name, we know his house, we know his, uh, his, his tribe. Okay? And the house of Zuar probably is, is the leading house within the clan. I, I, that's how I read this anyway. The leading house within the clan that has the leadership over the tribe of Issachar. So he presented as his offering. Here we go. All right. One silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels. One silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. Sound familiar? All right. One gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense. One bowl, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, Two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one-year-old. This was the offering of Nethanel, the son of Zuar. All right, and that's on day two of the 12 days we're, we're reading about here in this chapter. All right. Are you paying attention? Notice anything? Is that a coincidence? You're going to make me back up and read this again. All right, there's Nashon. One silver dish, 130 shekels. One silver bowl, 70 shekels. Both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. One gold pan, 10 shekels, full of incense. One bowl, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin offering. And for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. All right, this was the offering of Nashon, the son of Amminadab. And unless I'm reading that wrong, it looks identical. To the uh, to the guy on day two. What a copycat! <laughs> Remember, these are not have to offerings. These are free will offerings. These are the offerings of what the princes decided they wanted to do. And the first one was the tribe of Judah. Remember, that's the leadership tribe. This is the tribe that was promised: the scepter shall not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes. This is the line that Messiah is going to come through. This is the leadership tribe of the twelve tribes. Okay, and they don't have a king yet, but they have the leadership with, from this tribe. And this is uh, they're camped on the east. They're going to march first. They're going first in the in the march. They're going first in the battle. Judah leads the way, and Nashon of Judah, he brought an awesome gift. Because he wanted to. And then Nethanel on day two, he brings his voluntary free will offering based on what he wanted to. 
And I find it curious that he didn't feel like he had to exceed what Judah did. But he also didn't feel like he should fall short of what Judah did. So is that legalism on his part or is it just the recognition, wow, Judah brought an awesome gift. And he said, you know what, I'm going to match it. And he brought the exact same gift the very next day. I don't think it was legalism and I don't think it was keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with the the Judas. All right, well, let's just see what happens now on day three. On the third day, Eliab. There's a lot of Eliabs in the Bible. God is my father. Um, Anyway, Eliab. This Eliab is the son of Helon, leader of the sons of Zebulun. So we know his name, we know his clan, we know his tribe. And he's the tribal prince. Okay, His offering was, wait for it, (laughs) one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels. One silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary. Both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering. One gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense. One young bull, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering. One male goat for a sin offering. And for a sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Eliab, the son of Helon. Identical. Okay? Spoiler alert. (laughs) Can we save time? Can we just say, okay, all 12 of them were copycats from, or not all 12 of them, 11 of them were copycats from the first guy. Or maybe not. Well, you know, God saw fit to record this in 89 verses in a very long chapter. So let's look at it. The fourth day was Elazur, the son of Shedeur, leader of the sons of Reuben. Now we finally get to the firstborn son. The firstborn son finally gets mentioned, but he's the fourth guy on, on day four. Reason for that being is that in the, in the, uh, in the camp and in the march, the, uh, the first position the fourth position, the seventh position, and the tenth position are the leadership positions for their, um, for their uh, directions, for their sides. Okay? The east side, the south side, the west side, and the north side. And so it's not really an insult to be number four. It's actually an honor to be number four. What it really means is you're number two. Because Judah leads the way, and he's got a couple of tribes helping him that are camped with him, that are support tribes, we would call them support battalions for the Judah battalion as they, as they march forth. Okay. Then we have on the south, Reuben has the leadership of the south, uh, of the south uh, camp, of the south brigade, if you will. And so the Reuben battalion has a couple of support battalions with them. Okay. Simeon and, and Gad are the support battalions for Reuben. And they're all camped on the south side of the tabernacle when they're sitting there in camp. But when the cloud rises up and moves forward and they move out in their order of march, uh, Judah leads the first triplet of, of tribes forward from the eastern camp. And then Reuben leads the second triplet. Okay, 
And uh, I'm going to be calling them, uh, you know, I'm going to be calling them brigades, okay? So the, Ju- the, the Ju- Judah battalion is the leader, leading battalion of the, of the uh, eastern brigade, right? And then Reuben is the leading battalion of the southern brigade. So he gives his offering on day four. Eleazar, the son of Shadir, the leader of the sons of Reuben. His offering was, and we, we almost have it memorized by now, I think, one silver dish whose weight was 130 shekels, one silver bowl of 70 shekels, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, both of them full of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, one gold pan of 10 shekels full of incense, one bowl, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering, for the sacrifice of peace offerings, two oxen, five ram, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Eleazar the son of Shedeur. Okay? Identical. The fourth offering matches the first three. By the way, don't, don't think for a minute, right? One goat for a sin offering. Who did the sin? Nobody sinned. Maybe uh, the biggest problem with the sin offerings and the trespass offerings is we insist on thinking somebody must have sinned if they're bringing a sin offering. Not necessarily. Sin offerings are used for a lot of things. Trespass offerings, there's no trespass offerings here, but we do have burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, and sin offerings. All of which is dedicating the temple. It's uh, dedicating the altar. It's an, it's an altar dedication here. And the fifth day was Shlemuel. Oh, Shalomiel. Shlemiel? All right. I wonder if he spoke Yiddish. No. Shalomiel, the son of Zerishadai, leader of the children of Simeon. Again, we know his name, we know his clan, we know his tribe. His offering was what you would expect. Okay? And this is the tribe of Simeon. Simeon and Gad are the support tribes camped on the south. They march with, they march behind Reuben when the south brigade goes forth after the East Brigade, led by Judah. All right. One gold pan, one bowl, one ram, one male lamb, one year old for a burnt offering, one male goat for a sin offering. Is that right? I've got to double check that. When we get into Leviticus, we're going to find out that most of the offerings are male, but some of them can be female. In this case, though, it's a male goat for a sin offering. So this was the offering of Shilomiel, son of Zerishadai, the tribe of Simeon. All right, now we get Gad. On the sixth day was Elisaph, the son of Deuel, or Deuel, leader of the sons of Gad. And as you might expect, these are the items, same, everybody else was given. One dish, one bowl, flour, incense, the burnt offering of one bull, one ram, one male lamb, the sin offering of one male goat, the peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old. This was the offering of Elisaph, the son of Duel. On the seventh day, Elishama, the son of Amahud, leader of the sons of Ephraim. And if you're ever curious what some of these names mean, again, you can always just right-click it. You can always uh, select the, the person, Amihud, father of Elishama, Open up the fact book. You're going to get information here on the person. Including the article there from the Lexham Bible Dictionary. 
Frequently, too, just if you want just something quick as far as a name definition goes, I found the easiest way is to pull up in the Strong's lexicon. The Strong's lexicon usually gives a single uh, gloss, a single snippet of, uh, of a lexical definition for every name that's in there. All right, in any event, Amahud, Elishama, the son of Amahud, leader of the sons of Ephraim. His offering was the same as everybody else. All right, this was the offering of Elishama, the son of Amahud. On the eighth day, Gamaliel, not the famous one that was the, the Pharisee uh, teacher that uh, um, preceded Hillel, or that sat under Hillel and Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. Different Gamaliel centuries later. Okay, because this is the Exodus. This is 1444, 1446 B.C. Silver dish, silver bowl, flour, uh, incense, burnt offering, sin offering, peace offerings. This was the offering of Gamaliel, the son of Pedazur. On the ninth day was Abadan, son of Gideoni, leader of the sons of Benjamin. Again, we know the name, we know the clan, we know the tribe. And in the clans, we... For a lot of these, we don't really know much about them, but for other tribes, we know more about some of the subdivisions, some of the subclans. For example, we know about Benjamin because Saul came from Benjamin, and we know that Saul actually was pretty reluctant to be even talking to, to Samuel. And when Samuel said, I'm here to anoint you king of Israel, and Saul was like, wait a minute, my father is nobody. I'm of the smallest house, of the smallest clan of, uh, of all the clans of Benjamin. Why are you making me king? Okay. Something similar happens with Bethlehem. Bethlehem was too small to be counted. Uh, you know, Bethlehem Ephrathah, too small to be counted among the clans of Judah. They were insignificant. Ephrathah wasn't even listed as a clan in the, in the uh, structure of, uh, of Judah. And yet it's from, Eph- it's from uh, Bethlehem Ephrathah that, that Christ would be born. So these, these studies, I think, are, are important. And uh, the more we pay attention to them, we're, we're doing ourselves a lot of favors. And uh, especially since it's so alien to our, uh, to our modern American system. All right, so this is what Abadan, the son of Gideoni, is bringing. And you might expect it's going to be a dish and a bowl. It's going to have incense. <laughs> Everything is identical, okay? A gold pan, a bowl of ram, a male lamb, a male goat, for the sacrifice of the peace offerings, two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five male lambs, one year old, the offering of Abadan, the son of Gideoni. So each and every day this is happening. And every day was a celebration. Every day was worship. Every day the, the prince would arrive. He'd present his great gifts. The priests and the Levites would be accepting the gifts. Everyone's singing praise and hallelujah. They're, they're slaughtering the animals. The smoke is going up, a sweet smelling savors. And then for a lot of these meals, uh, not the burnt offerings, of course, the whole burnt offering, everything went up. But for peace offerings and for some of these other offerings, it was time to feast. It was time then for the offerer to have a seat, to dine with the priest, and they would be chowing down, okay? I, I mean, sometimes I suspect these Levites must have gotten pretty, pretty heavy, <laughs> you know? They did a lot of eating. Again, one bull, one ram, one male lamb, one male goat, Two oxen, five rams, five male goats, five lambs. And don't worry about leftovers because there's more coming tomorrow. Right? Anyway, what are we up to now? The 11th day, the 12th day, we're getting through it. The 11th day was Pagiel, son of Akron, leader of the sons of Asher. 
and the items are identical. Okay? Remember, Asher is the happy tribe. Asher means happy. And uh, this was the offering of Pagiel, the son of Akron, on the twelfth day. And let me not... Uh, did I miss day number 10? Dan. Ahiezer, the son of Amashaddai, the leader of the tribe, sons of Dan. Okay. It's not... I mean, you think, oh, it's kind of depressing to be tenth in the list. Well, it's actually fourth, okay? Because Dan was a monster tribe. Dan fielded more soldiers than anybody except Judah, okay? Dan uh, had the honor of the rear guard, the honor of watching the, watching the six, as we say. The honor of if Judah led the way, Dan had the, the leadership over the, the North Brigade. And the North Brigade was the last brigade to set out. The, 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 fourth, the North Brigade marched fourth, marched last in the order of march. And he had a couple of tribes uh, as support tribes, support battalions. But it was the Dan Battalion that had the leadership function within the North Brigade. All right, in fact, you could even call it the Dan Brigade. We've got different labels for it when we get there in, in a couple of weeks. All right, then there's Asher, and then there's Naphtali. Asher and Naphtali. All right. So the tribe of Naphtali, the prince is Ahira, the son of Enan, and uh, he brings exactly the same gift. I mean, right now the pressure's got to be on, don't you think? If 11 tribes are all bringing everything, and your prince is told to bring a freewill offering before the Lord, you know, you got to bring what the other 11 brought. I mean, that's just kind of, you got to join in the celebration as a freewill basis. No one's telling you you have to, he wants to. To bring a dish and a bowl and uh, flour and incense. All right, so then we get done with that. Then Ithamar has been keeping the running t- tallies, and the grand totals are also listed. So this was the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was anointed. And this is just the altar. We're not talking about the laver or the tent or the showbread or the candlestick or the anything else. This is just dedicating the altar. The, bra- the brazen altar of sacrifice. So this is the dedication offering for the altar from the leaders of Israel when it was, appoint- when it was anointed. Twelve sil- silver dishes, twelve silver bowls, twelve gold pans, each silver dish weighing 130 shekels, each bowl 70. All the silver of the utensils was 2,400 shekels according to the shekel of the sanctuary. That's a lot of shekels. The twelve gold pans full of incense weighing ten shekels apiece according to the shekel of the sanctuary. All the gold of the pans, 120 shekels. All the oxen for the burnt offerings, twelve bulls. All the rams, twelve. Male lambs, one-year-old with their grain offering, twelve. Male goats for a sin offering, twelve. All the oxen for the sacrifice of the peace offerings, twenty-four bulls. All the rams, sixty. All the male goats, sixty. The male lambs, one-year-old, sixty. This was the Hanukkah, the dedication offering for the altar after it was anointed. All right, one more verse. Now when Moses went into the tent of meeting to speak with him, he heard the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat that was on the ark of the testimony from between the two cherubim, so he spoke to him. Now this is different. These are different details than what we had read about in Exodus 40. In Exodus we had learned uh, when the temple, uh, before the tabernacle was constructed, Moses had a personal tent. And that personal tent 
he and Joshua set it up outside the camp. And that personal tent also was called the tent of meeting. because That's where Moses would meet the Lord. Okay? But once the tabernacle is finished, then the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The smoke got so powerful, Moses couldn't even get in there in the first day. Now we're a dozen days past that, and now Moses is able to go in there. And now this is now the new tent of meeting. I don't think that personal tent outside the camp is even there anymore. I think they quit setting that up as soon as the the main tabernacle was finished. And so this now appears to be a new routine. Moses would go into the tent of meeting to speak with him. He would go in there to speak. He's not a priest. He actually forsook that when he was begging for help from Aaron or somebody to to take his place at the burning bush, you know, whining episode when he was mumbling about not speaking well and stuff like that. And so, you know, he could have been high priest, he could have been everything, but God differentiated, said, all right, and he brings out Aaron and Aaron becomes the high priest and Moses becomes the mediator. And they have twin functions now at this point. The two brothers would be functioning as a, as a partnership, as a tandem for, uh, for the wilderness wanderings. So he's not going into the tent to do anything with um, the table of showbread or the candlestick or the altar of incense. He's not there to officiate. He's not there as a priest. He's there as the mediator of the Mosaic Covenant. He's there to talk to God. And so that's what he does. He gets right up to that veil, right next to that altar of, of incense, and he's got questions. And God's got answers. And they, they discuss. So he hears the voice speaking to him from above the mercy seat. It was on the Ark of the Testimony from between the two cherubim. So he spoke to him. Point five in the outline, Moses, typo there, not Moses, Moses was not a priest, but as mediator, he had all the privileges of entering into the tabernacle and hearing the voice of God from above the mercy seat. He's not a priest, but he is the mediator. Now, this takes a little bit of work as far as finding out how do you get the title of mediator. Well, back in Exodus chapter 20, when the people were scared and didn't want to get too close, they just they were happy to stand at a distance and they told Moses, speak to us yourself, we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. This was a voluntary uh, failure on their part to, uh, to have a mediator between them and God because they didn't want to hear directly from God. They were fine with hearing indirectly from Moses as a mediator. And Moses says, don't be afraid, God has come. Anyway, the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. So too bad for them. And really, um, that, uh, that failure there has ongoing consequences for the rest of the Bible. All right, Deuteronomy 5.5. 5. Moses is, is recounting this to the next generation. He says, the Lord spoke to you. This is after the Exodus generation dies off and now the wilderness generation has to hear the law and, uh, and assume their generational capacity. So the Lord spoke to you face to face at the mountain from the midst of the fire while I was standing between the Lord and you at that time to declare to you the word of the Lord for you were afraid because of the fire and did not go up the mountain. So this... Uh, Again, just like we saw the details in Exodus, it's recounted here in in Deuteronomy. It's really not until we get to Galatians chapter 3 
Why the law then? Paul is actually explaining theologically some of the details when the promise was given to Abraham as an unconditional covenant. Why the law 430 years later as a conditional covenant? There's a whole lot of if you do this and if you do that and nothing but failure for the the stiff-necked people who couldn't possibly measure up. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. Having been ordained through angels, notice um, the angels in Exodus were pretty much invisible other than the flames and the fire and the the, the, uh, meteorological phenomena that we saw. Now we learn that they were actually angels. By the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. All right, of course, that's Jesus. That's the seed. The promise to Abraham was to Abraham and to his seed. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. I mean, clearly, if there's a mediator that's working, he's got two parties he's in between. That's what a mediator does. So we have this pattern. And I'm going to say more on this too coming up because fundamentally I think this gets, this has an impact when you study the book of Hebrews. And when you study Jesus who's the mediator of the new covenant, Hebrews is very clear on that. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And then you see that Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. Absolutely, Jesus is the apostle and high priest of our confession. He is a priest according to the order of Melchizedek and he is the high priest because we're all in him. He entered as a forerunner and we entered after him. So he is the high priest of this Melchizedek priesthood that you and I function in. He is the apostle and high priest of our confession. He's not a Levitical high priest and not a Levitical priest at all. But he is the high priest of our confession. So we have two realities that are in the book of Hebrews. Jesus as the mediator of the new covenant and Jesus as the apostle and high priest of our confession. And I think it's best that you never, ever, ever, ever mash those two together as one and the same thing. Okay? Always, 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 always keep them separate items. Okay? And it might be tough because it's the same Jesus who fulfills both functions, but if it helps, if it helps, it was Moses as the mediator and Aaron as the high priest. If that helps you, to keep those offices distinct. The mediator does not have to be the high priest, and in the Old Testament he wasn't. The mediator does not have to be the high priest, and in the New Testament he is, but they're different things. Because his high priesthood is of our confession, as both apostle and high priest, of our confession in the body of Christ, in the church. Whereas the new covenant, the mediator of the new covenant is with Israel. The millennial kingdom, Israel, not with the church. Okay? Jesus is the mediator. We, we are the ministers of the new covenant. We're not the recipients of the new covenant. We're the ministers of the new covenant. Even as Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. All right, well, I'm glad we had time to get to that. Now, I did promise before we leave, there was one uh, other item I was going to show you. You remember what that was? Yes, I remember what that was. All right. So you find some verses and you want to put those verses together and you want to you want to create your own little Bible with just those verses in it. 
Okay? And I've done this already. I want to show you how I did it. And then if you want to do it, you can have some fun with it too. So let's just start with... Um, let's go to... Uh, let's just pick up where we were. Uh, Numbers chapter 7. And... Um, here we go. All right. And I'm going to go ahead and close this. We're done with this for tonight. All right. I'm going to make a list of these verses that list these tribal chieftains. Their, their name, their clan, their tribe. Okay, and i got two minutes to do that. Ooh, I'm running out of time. All right. Okay, I'll do this tomorrow night. I'll, I'll have more time tomorrow night. But what you can do, let me just show you quickly. So here's a verse with Nashon. I'm going to select number 712. And I'm going to add that verse to a verse list. I'm going to add that verse to a passage list. So right now I have a passage list. And my passage list has one verse in it. Okay? And the only verse it has in it right there is, uh, is number 722. Okay, and these are going to be, uh, I'm going to call these gifting uh, tribal princes. That's the name of my verse list. Okay? And then I'm going to come down here on the second day, Nethanel. And I'm going to add that verse to gifting tribal princes. Now I've got two verses in my verse list. You see how I'm doing that? I'm going to run out of time tonight. I'm not going to do the next ten. But you can do this yourself. Now let me show you one, one that I've already done, one that I've already finished. I have under documents, naming Jacob's sons. Here we go. This is my verse list for naming Jacob's sons. And all 12 of the sons that were named, I went one by one and I added them to the, to the verse list. And now I've got a, a verse list that has 12 passages. And I can read them like that or... I can open all of them at the same time with the open all button right there. And how fun is that is what that does is it writes your own little miniature Bible that only has 12 verses in it. It's a, it might seem like a ridiculously small Bible. That's okay. It is, this is my naming Jacob's son's Bible and it only has 12 verses in it. It only has to have 12 verses in it. And so I can go top to bottom. I can read this whole Bible in, in, in short order. And as I'm reading this Bible, I can see Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph, Benjamin. All right. So that's my Naming Jacob's Sons Bible that was created by the Naming Jacob's Sons passage list. Or the one we're making tonight, the Gifting Tribal Princes passage list. Make a, open those all in one window and you've got your own Bible there with those 12 verses. Okay? And, and as far as your imagination can run with this, you can create verse lists based on everything you can imagine. And then open them all simultaneously. You've got a little personal Bible there just with only those verses in it. It's kind of a fun, uh, fun feature. And I'm sure we'll think of more uses for these things as well moving forward. By the way, um, stay tuned. <laughs> Because uh, not only can you uh, do things like this, you can then, uh, it actually is quite helpful 
if, um, if, if your head spins with burnt offerings and peace offerings and sin offerings and trespass offerings and, 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 and if you want to just, because they're given, some of it's in chapter 1 and some of it's in chapter 3 and some of it's in chapter 6, and if you really want, take every verse in the Bible that addresses the sin offering and make it a passage list and then send it to a, a, a custom Bible and you'll have a Bible that only has verses with sin offerings or only has verses with burnt offerings, or only has verses with peace offerings. You see what I'm saying? And you can customize every single one of these, and, and, and it will help to, to classify and sort and think and process a whole lot of things that otherwise um, you're kind of picking and grabbing from a little bit here, a little bit there, and, and sometimes you might, you might overlook something. So anyway, well, that's it for tonight. We'll come back tomorrow with, uh, with uh, more from Numbers, Numbers 8 and 9, as well as Leviticus 1, 2, and 3. So I prepare for bloodshed tomorrow night. Father, I thank you for truth. I thank you for all of your grace, all of your faithfulness. Give you the praise and the glory in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.